0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to PM School, an educational platform for women entrepreneurs aspiring to start, scale, and exit epic businesses. I'm your host, Steph Caldwell, businesswoman by day, personal development author, founder, and investor by PM. Come with me each episode as we go behind the scenes with epic entrepreneurs and with the epic experts who support them along their way so grab your glass of wine grab your biz bestie because it is about to get real are you ready pull up your seat because class is in session Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of PM School. I am so stinking excited to introduce you guys to my next guest. Her name is... Brittany Stewart, and she is the president and COO of a company called Burst Oral Care. If you are not familiar or haven't seen me talk about how obsessed I am with my toothbrush, my toothpaste, and my floss routine, then you don't know me, clearly. (laughs) So Brittany and her co-founder, Hamish, run this business, and they're really here to turn an outdated industry dominated by dinosaurs upside down. Everybody brushes their teeth, but nobody's really given us a reason to think twice about it. It's oral care minus the care. So these two are just passionate dental nerds, for lack of a better term, and not only creating an epic consumer goods business with consumers like me resonating with their toothbrush for the first time probably ever, but they're also taking a totally unique and revamped go-to-market approach by working with a community of 30,000 hygienists and dentists, bringing about brand ambassadors who can actually make money supporting Burst and the mission that Burst represents. So anyway, Brittany is totally epic. She comes with a wealth of knowledge of building businesses in the consumer package goods sector. She's formerly worked in roles in finance as well as roles as an advisor and an angel investor and a board member. So I'm really excited to dive deep into this episode with you guys and help you learn from Brittany. She is truly a one-of-a-kind entrepreneur and has raised more venture capital in this business than all of my previous guests on PM School Podcast combined. So if that's an indication of what a badass she is, not to mention that she's had not one, but two Kardashian sisters support Burst Oral Care and Market. So anyway... You guys know I don't do ads on this podcast or anything like that. Literally, I am here to serve you guys the stories of epic women entrepreneurs creating epic businesses so they can mentor you on how to do it too. If you love this episode, if you get value from this episode, share with a friend, shoot them a text and say, oh my gosh, you got to listen to this. Throw it on social media. Tell me what resonates about Brittany's story, resonates about the questions that we ask Brittany as well as other guests. I really... Appreciate every single time I hear from you guys when you listen to an episode. So, without further ado, let's get into my episode with Brittany Stewart. Brittany, I am so excited to be sitting down with you. Huge fan of Burst, huge fan of the mission. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Truly an honor. Okay. Favorite question to ask you get so much feedback on this is as a kiddo, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an astronaut. I love that. Was there something that drove that vision for you? I went to space camp
1: and I'd always been a very nerdy kid. And it was like, imagine you go and a lot of people like don't find their niche until maybe college when they're nerds. Like I'm talking about the nerd class here, which I am a part of. And so at 12 to get to go to like space camp in Florida and meet and almost be in this thrive environment. And I was just like kind of always obsessed with like space Mm -hmm. and it was like the biggest manifestation a station of that, that, that goal and that dream. So like, I thought for a long time, I was going to be an astronaut.
0: Wow. That is so cool. Maybe, maybe still could happen for you in this life.
1: I have to tell you, Jeff Bezos has really turned everything his, like him becoming a space cowboy. I realized that I could achieve a depth of entrepreneurship that I could weasel my way into being an astronaut. And so the dream is now alive
0: again. Oh, my, well, I'm going to have my fingers crossed for you. I can't wait to, to stay updated on this journey. This little nerdy Brittany who loves Space Camp, did she ever have any entrepreneurial ventures? I would say more that I like kind of always worked. Mm. So
1: I've had a lot of jobs. And I think that is a very strong reason why I'm good at building functional and organizational design. Mm. Because I think sometimes there's a group of entrepreneurs who never really they're entrepreneurs because they never worked anywhere or they could never work anywhere. Like they're just that square peg round hole kind of person that I, on the other hand, like I basically have had jobs since I was like 15 nonstop. And so I've been a hostess at a restaurant. I've been a barista at a coffee shop. I've been a babysitter. I worked at the UCLA library, shelving books, I've done a lot of things. So by the time I graduated from college, like I had legitimately been in the workforce for like eight years. Mm-hmm. So comparatively to my friends who didn't start working until after they graduated college, I met the equivalent of like where they were at, at 32 by the time I graduated. So I'd say that like, I always do like the lemonade stand thing, but I was like very entrepreneurial within my job. Like I loved coming in and being like, there's a better way we could do something. Like let's shelf the merchandise this way and we'll sell more of this like black voodoo beer. I worked at a Cajun restaurant as the hostess. And and I would find ways to like optimize that they were like a little bit, who is this kid? I found a way to change the close down process for the coffee shop I worked at so that it would be more efficient. And they wouldn't have to pay people so many hours to close the shop after we're no longer selling drinks. Like these were things that I, so I guess I had this entrepreneurialism within the organization, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I, I so resonate with that. I tell people oftentimes to this day, one of the best jobs I ever had. I worked at Pop Belly. I made sandwiches. And oh my
1: god, you really
0: are from the Midwest. Yeah, <laughs> I did all the Midwestern things. Um, but why Pop Belly specifically resonates with me is they had a really incredible training program and they gave their employees a lot of autonomy. And so from day one, it taught me that like I could work within a business and bring creative ideas to the table that would be respected and valued and implemented. And so I just really resonate with your story of kind of working within businesses, but bringing creativity there.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting to feel full circle on it as the boss now, because I look for employees who have that spirit inside of them. And I want to give them the opportunity. If you think you can create something better than the construct we've given you, go for it. And even if you don't get it right, I'm going to encourage that within you because you may not get it right this time, but you'll get it right the next time you're thinking the way I want you to think. And try to tell people, think of yourself as like the CEO of your position. And I'll never ever, like I reward that vulnerability being like, I have an idea. It's a very important thing to me.
0: We're on this topic because I think a lot of people, especially early stage, like managers or people leaders can get value from your thinking here. Is there something that you do to foster like a question that you ask when you're looking to bring somebody into your team or your fold that creates that like co-founder mentality, CEO mentality that you've found just like works for your business?
1: Yeah, I basically in an interview, by the time someone gets to me. What I've had the team do is vet out that they can technically do the job. Mm-hmm. So by the time it gets to, to either Hamish or I, who's my partner at Burst, uh, what we're trying to figure out is that, like, are you a people fit? Mm-hmm. And so I usually ask my opening question is, tell me about yourself. Give me, if there was a Wikipedia page about you, what would it say? So like, that's usually like my opening, because what I really want to understand is like, not only who you are, but how did you get to being who you are? And then hearing whether or not they have a thread of understanding of how they got to where they're at in life becomes apparent to me. And someone who can draw a thread from there to there is more likely to be someone who can draw a thread to to, to progress. And then uh, this is this is when I ask about half the time, which is. Tell me something that like you got done at a job that like you you like to brag about, like that you're like really proud of. Give me your, I optimize the shutdown of the coffee shop moment of like, you, you like to brag about it if you're being honest with yourself. And it's amazing to hear people's responses to that. Like the wins for the company are the things that this person's self-worth is tied to in, in many ways, right? This is my, I feel worthy of the job I've got. I don't feel like I have imposter syndrome. So I think that those are two, and then thirdly, I ask people about their personal lives because I think I'm looking for people who care about something other than work. It doesn't matter to me what it is, but the idea that you are someone who has a life outside of work is really important to me because that means you're a well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. And even if the answer is something as simple as like I crochet, you have something you care about. And that's really important to me because you have a motivation other than the money and money isn't enough for humans that's just true.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I cannot wait to implement my own hiring practices. Some of those questions, those are great, especially the brag one, because I think it's interviewing can be really humbling and giving a person a platform to brag and show you their character through doing so is pretty exciting.
1: Yeah. And I also think it's the right foot forward is that I want you to feel, I want you to feel like I just signed Lebron to the Lakers, like I'm about to set this franchise like on its ear, right? Like I want people coming in feeling like it was a win on both sides because com- I, 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 confidence is one of the most uh, underdeveloped things in the world in my opinion. and like the the correlation between mental health issues and self-worth issues I think are one to one.
0: Yeah. Wow, there's so much that I would love to dig into there. maybe before kind of going back to my normal series of questioning. Confidence is something that I imagine I perceive you as probably having a lot of, which I'm sure took a long time to build, but maybe I'm wrong there. What like, what thoughts do you have on the topic for a listener who maybe is struggling in that world?
1: Confidence is very unsettling to other people, especially if you're a woman. It is one of the most polarizing personality characteristics you can have. And I'm not talking braggadocious or aggressive or unkind being okay with yourself in a world where women are taught to constantly pick at themselves and find something wrong is very disconcerting to people. And I think you have to ignore that, right? The signal is that whatever you look like, whatever you do, you have the right to love yourself and be proud of who you are. And no one gets to take that from you. And I do think that there is like a constant barrage of be less this, be more this. And if you just listen to that all the time, like you would go crazy. So how do I find like my North Star in that? One, I have an amazing family. I've always been very, very nerdy, as I've shared with you. And I was never made to feel like that was a negative thing. Like my parents were like proud of it. Look at her like total dork, like totally into it. My sisters are phenomenal women and every single one of us is so different from the other. There is no resource competition in it. None of us wants the same thing out of life. And it's like this really tremendous thing. And so having the deepest love and respect for women who are so different from me, allowed me to celebrate differences in a way that I think is important. Sometimes the only thing that sustains you, especially as an entrepreneur, is like your belief in yourself. And because there are days where it, just, it doesn't look good and you still got to like get out there and, and do it. And so I think confidence is just so important and we need to foster it. And that doesn't mean being illogical. I'm sorry if I'm rambling, like, doesn't mean like you ignore the facts or tell yourself false narratives. It's rather you tell yourself the truth and you say, despite these truths, I still am deserving of love. I still can be successful. I can still make it because every single person has weaknesses. You can, you have the right to succeed despite those weaknesses or things that are wrong with you in air quotes. So I think that everyone I've ever seen who's really made it on this earth, they have this unbelievable belief, belief in themselves.
0: Mm. I recently um, was reading a personal development book on sales and by day. And one of the, the frames of reference that I was given for confidence is that a lot of us conflate our identity with our roles. So you might not having be having the best day as a mom or the best day as a leader or the best day as a wife, but that is actually not again a knock against your identity. It's just like how you perceive your application of self in the role. And when you dissociate identity and role, you can actually start to be like, I'm Perfect. Like when I was born, I was perfect. You can't argue that, <laughs> and I have been perfect my entire life. It's just that these roles I may not be perfect in, and they may not be perfect for me. But it's not against a knock against me.
1: I think exactly correct. And also, sometimes you do something wrong. Yeah, that's like what being human is. Like you move on. You what did you learn from it? How could you prevent it from happening again? It is not. It should not begin be the beginning of a threat of I'm not worthy or I don't have confidence like that. I think as long as you like the classic boxing things, it doesn't matter how many times you get hit, just how many times you get up? Yeah. And that's, it's as simple as that.
0: Yeah. So moving forward in, in your journey, I'm really curious what you studied in, in school, university and, and why, but going to like the comment of getting knocked down, being different, maybe having your confidence in question in my LinkedIn creeping of you, I did notice that you started your career in investment banking, which I can only imagine probably was humbling in many rights. So share a little bit about that journey.
1: Sure. So technically I was on the consulting side. So that's a very different beast. I developed this like very healthy respect for entrepreneurship while I was in college. I actually worked as a babysitter for a family here in LA. The dad was an incredibly successful entrepreneur and really the husband and wife took me under their wing and were so amazing to me. And I learned so much from them. And so I knew that to me, the, like this idea of what could be the hardest thing to do would be to build something. And so I, I was really fascinated with that journey, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And consulting is this really great way and what you're doing is you're acutely solving problems for people's businesses, whatever they might be. So like when I started as a very early analyst, what you were doing is like early stage business planning and helping people really think about, okay, what's that? What's the plan? What's the goal? And then as I progressed in my career there, I really got to work on real businesses that were existing. And there would always be some sort of capital need tied to whatever problem there was, which is like, how are we going to deploy capital? Do we need to sell this company? Do we need to raise capital? Do we need to raise debt? And I got to see the best and the worst of entrepreneurship. So I got to see some of the craziest people, I mean, just totally candidly, like just off their rocker, not on planet earth we called them entrepreneurs, like people who want to be entrepreneurs, but like no plans of following through. And then I got to see some very legitimate, excellent leaders of businesses. So I spent a few years in that organization learning a really important soft skill set, which is how to understand what's the problem. And then the hard skill set I developed was the ability to really financial model out what is going on with the business. Mm-hmm. So in life, having a hard skill set and a soft skill set, I think, is important. So for me, like in any room, there's really no one who's gonna outdo me on understanding the mechanics of the financials of a business. Mm-hmm. And if we model out cash flow scenarios, if we are thinking about every sort of aspect of a business, I can walk into a room and almost know what a business makes just by observing what's happening. Cause this is what I used to do is okay, what's that financial model exercise look like? And then how does that affect cash flow? And it allows me to now run this business with a very strong understanding of the economics and how the decisions I make tactically will impact us financially. And so it was a really, it was a great way to grow up, but then I was ready to spread my wings and get out there.
0: Yeah. Maybe like leaning into the financial expertise that you have as with respect to business building. So. Somebody, you know, I'll raise my hand, marketing major in college. Literally, I didn't even like to play with numbers until I got into my career. They made me uncomfortable. They made me like scared to be wrong, to calculate things wrong. And then I had a McKinsey consultant Marine as a boss and he taught me financial modeling. And I was like, ah, this is so far outside my comfort zone, but it taught me really like the value and understanding numbers and how they contribute to the success of a business and why you need to metric yourself and, and hold yourself accountable to goals. If you were to distill your lessons and being like a financial ninja that you are into useful tactical advice for uh, an entrepreneur who maybe not doesn't have kind of that same background, what would some of those be?
1: I think it, this is less tactical and more just wisdom-based. You cannot be a successful entrepreneur and say things like, I don't really understand numbers, or I don't really get money, that's not my thing. Then like being successful is not going to be your thing because businesses exist to turn a profit. And if you're not paying attention to something, then that's a liability to you. It doesn't mean that you need to be a CFO and understand gap accounting. No one's expecting that, but you better understand the mechanisms of an income statement. What are your revenue drivers? What are your variable costs? Do you understand the difference between your gross margin and your net margin? If you don't know these basic things, you're in trouble. And, and the trouble results in somebody that's going to take advantage of you financially. You're not going to be in a cash position that, that you understand or know how to get out of. So you cannot excuse yourself from these conversations by saying like, oh, this isn't my thing. Then entrepreneurship isn't your thing. And that's very harsh, but it's true. The second part of it is, though, the great beauty of it all when you're the boss is you can be as vulnerable as you want. You can say, I don't know these things, but I'm going to learn them. Who am I going to learn them from? Am I going to learn them from my CFO? Am I going to learn them from a trusted mentor? Am I going to educate myself? They aren't impossible concepts. No one is going to convince me that if you can run a big, fat business that's successful, that you can't understand income, less variable costs, less fixed costs equals net profit, and that there's a cash flow statement that has some triggers outside of that which is like when do you pay your bills and when do you get paid those are like your, your main triggers right so these are things that from a conceptual level like you you should be able to understand um you don't have to be the excel ninja of the universe to get that do you understand your unit economics what is it like what do you sell something for what does it cost you to make it What does it cost to acquire a customer? So what is your gross and contribution margin? I think that's really important. If we're talking about consumer products, these things are really important. And do you understand all of your costs, like the delivered cost if you're selling things online? If you're selling things at retail, like what is that
0: retailer getting as a cut? What are they charging you back? Be thorough. Do you have a resource that you would point somebody listening to this to that identifies more as creative?
1: Honestly, YouTube. I know that sounds nuts, but I bet you if you typed into YouTube... Understanding an income statement. There's somebody who's probably done a pretty great video about it. Yeah. YouTube, you. That's the place. Figure out how you learn. Do you learn by reading? Do you learn by multimedia? Figure out how you learn and figure out who's got content in that format.
0: Okay. It, again, me creeping your LinkedIn more than anything. Is um, I understand uh, that you, I, I think, have both been like a CFO and a, a venture advisor before meeting Hamish and starting your own thing. Mm-hmm. I imagine then you got to like peek inside of all of these different types of businesses and potentially get excited about one that you could go and create. What was that experience being a venture advisor? And how did that kind of lead or not lead to what you've created with Burst?
1: I'm very lucky. So I still sit this role. So there is a a venture studio here in Los Angeles called the Deer Deck Machine. And it is about co-founding being the largest check, the early stage Finding do-or-die entrepreneurs, giving them the capital they need and some structure to understand how to launch. And Rob and Brian, who run the run that on the day-to-day basis, are just exceptional individuals. So I think not only you know do I learn from the journey of okay, this is how this person pitched the business, and then this is how it came to fruition or didn't come to fruition. What the two of them have is a mentality of plenty. What could you do if you believed you were capable of anything? They have this relentless positive energy. That once they've decided on a course of action, they will give it their all. And I think that I didn't realize how much of my life I wasn't thinking fully in terms of, I always knew I was talented. But re, like, again, I thought I had confidence and then spending time with somebody who even drew that out further. That is, that's been one of the greatest parts of this. And in the early days, Rob would have me help aspiring entrepreneurs with a great idea really map out a financial plan. Okay. This is how this could look economically if we're successful. So really working with these entrepreneurs to get all the inputs and a model that like made sense. Is this a plan that we can follow? It was a great way to think about where did we get it right and where did we get it wrong? And then coupled with that sort of that that relentless self-belief. So it's something I'm still involved with to this day. And it's something I'm very proud to be involved with, which is guys who want to see great companies come to life.
0: Yeah. How cool. I so I listened to Rob's podcast that he recently came out with and had heard your name mentioned on a few episodes. I'm like, who is this Brittany CFO ninja? I need to meet her. And then, of course, I found you and found Burst. And I was like, oh, this is why the success is here in this business.
1: Yeah. It's, I think the other thing is that because the, the, there's a lot of people with a lot of great ideas and a lot of great experience and information, but there is this, you have to step off the lily pad and go to the next one. If you're going to get there mm-hmm. and Rob pushes people in that direction, which is that this is your life. This is not a drill. And if you're going to do it with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Um, and so, you know, it's and if anybody is listening is like an aspiring entrepreneur with consumer products and like, you should call the deer deck machine. They are some of the best people I know and crazy smart. Like I've never met anybody who understands product market fit better than them. They just, they understand that in a way that I've never seen you. A lot of VCs you'll meet understand numbers, but they understand what does it mean to mean something to other people?
0: Mm, so I love that. We could have a, hour-long conversation on that alone, but I would love to talk more about Burst. So one of the, the things that draws me so much to your brand is how playful you and Hamish are, both as founders, but also like how that comes through in the brand. But when I started digging deeper into the business, I love that it wasn't just playful and had efficacy, but there's like a bigger mission to like support women who are bringing this brand to life for you guys as like boots on the ground. And I just, I really adore everything. How did this vision come together for you? Did it start tiny? Did it start huge? Tell us about that. You know, in life, they're just, I
1: believe that they're people you're supposed to meet. And some of them might be friends. Some of them might be romantic. So a mutual friend of mine, uh, this guy Ed, uh, surfed with Hamish. And Ed and I used to have a standing breakfast date. Ed's also a VC in Los Angeles. And probably in terms of like later stage stuff, you might credit him as one of the most successful VCs in the city. So he's got that eye, if you will, I give you that as context. And so Ed and I used to have breakfast once, twice a month at Wexler's in Santa Monica, which is like this deli. We get like bagels and lox sit, talk about everything. What are you investing in? What kind of operational problems do you see? And what are you, how do you feel about supply chain? Like we talk about everything. And Ed was came to breakfast one time. It was like, you have to meet this guy, Hamish. And I was like, and in all of our years of friendship, he's like, never said that to me. I was like, okay. (laughs) Then I go to a charity event and my attorney who's also on the board of this charity is like, just met this guy and his name's Hamish. And I was like, what? This is so weird. And he's like, I think you should meet him. I was like, what makes you say that? He's like, I don't know, but I just feel like I need to say out loud that you should meet him. And in my whole life, no one has ever had these kinds of moments with me. Hamish and I finally get connected via text. And we're like very resistant to the idea of being like, entrepreneurially set up with one another, but we relent and we go meet. And it was like one of those moments for, I think the minute we met each other, we're like, oh, I get it. You met your match in that perfect yin to your yang professionally that like most people never get to meet. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a crazy, we went to like breakfast in Brentwood and then we just kept hanging out. It just, the day went on and on. And what I realized is that Here's I, I recognize two things. Finally, someone with a, a similar view of the world, which is that not only do I want to win, I want to win better than mm-hmm. everybody else, and whatever that means. And then two, I have the grit to back it up. Like I'm always used to being like, at least professionally, like the sort of the dominant person in the room no, like here's the solution this is what we're doing you can count on me and then all of a sudden there's this like equally dominant person with a different view of the world which is a little more creatively focused and product focused and with respect for like my gangster and I've got respect for his and we felt so we spent a good amount of time getting to know each other that year and then once we decided we were like value aligned which is could you have a place where people love working because you have a place that doesn't have an office. Can you have a place that makes better products? Can you have a place that you, can you own your own acquisition channel? We had like all these dreams. We wrote them down and people thought we were nuts. And then we decided like in May of 2017, we were going to do that. And then on like June 1st, 2017, we just went to someone's house and raised an angel round like over a breakfast table. And then we were officially in business.
0: That is so exciting. Uh, I have to ask again, from a financial perspective, getting into the business of toothbrushes and like all of the accessories that kind of come with oral care, I imagine is incredibly capital intensive, even from day one, right? Like how do you Mm -hmm. manufacture this thing? What were the conversations happening between you and Hamish in the course of the year, as you guys were kind of thinking and planning and evolving? And then the first conversations as you start to raise money, I'm sure were interesting as well. Talk a little bit about that side. Again, have you ever read The Alchemist?
1: So like when you are like on your path, the universe will conspire to help you achieve your dreams. I feel that first year was very much that. So another thing about Hamish is he's shameless and relentless, right? So he went knocking on doors to people he knew in town that were like angels who were interested in investing in early stage companies. And he did not relent, right? And these guys, so there were two guys who had given him a little bit of capital. Like, let me see what you can do with this. Like from a building of the concept format. And then in our conversations, dude, this is an inventory-based business with manufacturers overseas. What I need you to understand is that if we're successful, we're going to need we we for unsuccessful, we're going to need a little bit of money. If we're successful, we're going to need a fuck ton of my department. <laughs> no, it's okay. Like, are still- you ready for that? Because you can count on me to be the person who leads that charge, but I don't want to be like at the dance with you. And you're like, I don't want to raise because I don't want to dilute. We'll fail. And I don't want to be that. So like, we got to be on the same page from day one. Like, Inventory based businesses need money.
0: Yeah.
1: And the more successful you are, the more money you need. That's, that's just it. So we decided that was true. And then if early on though, we could take angel money rather than venture capital, that would be our preference. So we sought out and had narrowed it down to these three guys who to this day are like our older brother mentors. We got so lucky. So Michael, Brian, Todd, all on our board to this day, extremely sophisticated, experienced investors coming from the public equities world where they covered consumer goods. Mm. They're just phenomenal people. And what we all recognize, the five of us at that table, we, we actually went to Michael's house, had breakfast. We realized like this collection of people is a like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because the wisdom that they brought that level of sort of calm, driven, we just talked about, okay, what's the minimum amount of capital we need to like really prove this idea out. Mm-hmm. So I think in that moment, what we decided on was like about $2 million to just get things going and really discussed everyone's roles. And I remember that we we didn't have any like documentation ready. And I remember calling Michael and being like, listen, I gave you my word. We're funding this business, but let's get the paperwork right. Let's not rush do it, but like we don't want to be predators to you, and we need there's some clauses in here that aren't going to well benefit you guys as the founders. And they looked out for us in that moment. Like they, they, so we found great people whose motivation was they want to be part of like really amazing things. And, and so that was our first check in June, and then we launched in August of 2017 at a dental convention
0: in Chicago, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's I. Uh... I I like that you said, have you ever read The Alchemist? Because it does seem like serendipitous, right? That the process was uh, how it was for you. That being said, all of the experience that you had and the intentionality of like how you and Hamish came together, it's no surprise that the next steps were maybe easier than we would perceive it could be for others.
1: Totally. And I think the other thing is like you talk about getting to know someone. Raising capital with someone is a really good way to get to know them. You don't realize that these are tests of the relationship in the moment, but like, I we said from the beginning is that we didn't want anyone to give us money that we didn't think was a good person. Mm-hmm. Like we would just walk away from it. And I remember in the early days when we like didn't have the money yet, right? We hadn't taken a meeting with a guy, and this is like very early in my friendship with Hamish. Now I would like never hesitate to say this, but I said to him, "This guy said this thing," and I interpret that as a, like a low level. There's something off there. And it was like very, an anti-female comment. I was like, I just, I hesitate to bring it up, but my spidey senses tell me that there's a bigger, broader issue with him that he, in the first meeting with us, say something like that. Mm -hmm. And and Hamish heard me and he's like, then we'll just never talk to this guy again. And it was just like, I didn't have to justify. Mm -hmm. He was just like, like, you got a lot of experience and like, I believe you. And it was like, that was a very friendship solidifying moment for us, I would say. And also value solidifying, which is that there's a lot of capital out there. We don't have to take it from people who don't have similar values to us.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure builds so much trust too, that it just goes without saying this is, we're together in this.
1: Because you don't want to be a pain. Now I know that being a pain is just fine.
0: Yeah. That's my job is to be a pain. Uh, (laughs) But at that stage in life, you're just sort of like, I don't want to be a pain, but this is a red flag. Uh. (laughs) maybe doubling down on the capital experience, the capital raising experience. So not only did you guys kind of raise that original 2 million, but you've gone on to raise substantially more than most women entrepreneurs and not to say women entrepreneurs is like a fact that we have to go into, but it's just like true. No,
1: it is a fact. It is a fact. So I believe it is factually true to say that less than 2% of all capital goes to female founders. I think that's factually true. I think we can like do that. We can. That is that.
0: factually true. Yes. And the amount of money that you guys have raised to support the business scale that you have, I think you're probably like 1% of the 2% would be my guess.
1: Yeah. So we did our institutional rounds from Volition and Goldman. And I believe that my PR team told me that this makes me like top 25 females of an amount of capital of all time.
0: How does that make you feel? I know like feelings are soft, but I think women need to hear from, from you how it feels to have that much. I think
1: thought number one is, oh, damn, I'm bad as hell. (laughs) But then thought number two is, wait a minute, that feels wrong. You know, so there's like, it's sort of like, you want to be like, like the ceiling breaker or whatever, right? But then you're like, but wait a minute, like this doesn't, that's not right. So I think the initial thought is just like this moment of, oh. I did it. I ascended the ranks. But then there's this second feeling, which is just, what? How can that be? And I think that the second thing is, as I think about like future acts in my life, how can I correct that? Because that feels like an injustice to me because there are no rights for anyone on this earth unless there are economic rights. Like mm-hmm. we know that there's a correlation where you don't see economic rights, you don't see human rights. Like that's true the world over. And so I try to think about what I can do to whether it's like any female entrepreneur who reaches out to me. I'll make time from anything from like, I've had entrepreneurs call me and be like, I don't really understand the difference between first class mail and priority mail and what that's going to cost me. And I'll sit down and I'll talk about it. Like wherever you're at, you don't got to feel like you've got to be where I'm at. You can ask me and I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the wisdom is number one. Mm -hmm. And then if they're seeking capital and I know somebody who funds this kind of thing, I will put a friendly finger in the right direction.
0: Yeah. I can also imagine. So there's like feeling one, feeling two, feeling three, potentially being responsibility to both those who have invested in the business as well as those whose lives you lead and inspire and are a big part of their journey. What like at the scale of business that you have to operate, given the capital that you guys have taken on. What are the the things that you're constantly thinking about? And specifically what's on my mind is I was listening to a Boss Babes episode that you were on and you talked about bringing like Khloe Kardashian in to to represent Burst. And then you Mm -hmm. talked about the outcome of the inventory that you need to have on hand to support that. And uh, I think like days before I reached out, you mentioned that you guys had Kim supporting Burst. I'm like, oh my Lord, like these are big decisions with big financial implications from like an ad perspective. But also then from what does that take in terms of inventory as well, speak a little bit about like the responsibility that you bear having taken on the capital that you have and what that means as you, as you think about leading the business, the way you do.
1: I think you have to have a little bit of dissonance in your soul, right? So what feels like a lot of money to you as a person is not a lot of money to a business at this stage right? So I'll sign a purchase order, like for example, this morning, like for some replenishment inventory, I signed a purchase order this morning for like $500,000. Like objectively, that's a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. But not really for the scope of business that we're at, like, I just got to sign it. And so I think that you, you have to think about like your own view. You you have to be dispassionate about it. Like it's about the information. It's about the data. It's mm-hmm. about growing to the scale that you can hit. And it, it can't be about like your personal relationship with is that a ladder? Is that a little? What I think most about more than anything is that if I hire someone, they're my responsibility. I'm responsible for the, the food on someone's table, whatever the proverbial maxim is. And I don't want to hire people unless I think I could keep them forever, even if I get people move on from jobs. But like you've got long term job sustainability from me. And I have to make decisions that create good economic outcomes for those people. And then therefore that creates good economic outcomes for my shareholders and, and everybody else on the team. And so actually I'm very proud to say that every single person who works for me is a shareholder in the company that's very important to me. So like, should we ever do something like ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange? I I once told, I once told Courtney on our team that to me, like the biggest measure of our success is that if I did something like that and my lowest paid employee, like when whatever job role that is, would walk away with a very substantial sum of money. And that to me would mean more than yes, I want to do the job for Goldman Sachs, but like, I don't think it would have the same emotional impact for them if I, you know, gave them a billion dollars versus I gave somebody who does customer service a million dollars. Like it's just, it's a different, it's a different scale. So I think about what it means to be responsible for other people. And then I also think about what kind of person I am. And I hold myself to this very high standard of how I interact with others. And you can't build these amazing trust relationships with people, which means like you can never deviate. Like even if you're feeling passionate or upset or angry, you cannot come to a conversation with that because I'm dealing with people who are on all different spectrums of their life development and a theme throughout the company is this ability to be vulnerable and if you violate that just like one time, if you're a little too harsh, you're a little too tough. It doesn't mean I don't have standards for people. It's like how I convey those standards mm-hmm. is really important to me. I think about the, the, the that onus outside, like on a personal front, like pretty boring. I got a one-year-old, so I don't really do anything. I've been with my husband since I was 20, so 16 years to cook, have a nice glass of wine. Like I, I don't, I'm not like pining for. Oh, if I wish I didn't work so much, so I could like go party. I'm. It's not where I'm at. That that part's easy to bear. So it's more about making sure I'm making decisions that get us to the next level. Because also, people love to work at places that they feel like they're winning at. I love being able to like go into our Slack and I'm like, January closed. Here's what everyone needs to know. Congratulations to Charlotte, who's like really stepped up in her role as digital advertising coordinator. And I I work really hard to understand where people are succeeding and acknowledge that publicly. And also being able to share the wins with the team is is also super important to me too.
0: Yeah. I I love your energy and your focus on your people. I think again, it's something that has so resonated with me as I followed the the Burst brand. It's really even beyond the walls of just the employees of Burst, but the people that you guys impact by having them represent your products and market. What are some of the, the lessons that you've learned along the way? And I'd love to break this into two parts, like. Biggest lesson you learned early stage and biggest lesson the universe is putting in front of you right now?
1: Early stage, get out with and in front of the negative immediately. Don't hide from it. Don't keep it to yourself. Never lose a loan. There's a problem and it's real. You've got constituents who want to see this business succeed. And unless you talk about it with them, you're not going to get that wisdom. And like I used to have a little bit of a longer time cycle where like I would acknowledge something's a problem, but then I'd like emotionally process it for a little bit longer period of time and then deal with it. Now that window is very narrow. It's now we got to deal with this because the longer I let it linger, it's actually the worse it's going to get. And I don't, my brain is good enough. I don't need extra time to process it I'm lying to myself. Mm-hmm. And so now like that sort of timeline of like critical thing that needs to be talked about, the time we're talking about it is right now. And, and so I think getting to that standard is also improved relationships with people because there is no lingering anything. If if it's a personnel issue, it's like, now we're going to talk about this today Mm -hmm. and we're both going to leave here with a resolution that we feel good about letting problems aren't going to, a problem isn't going to magically solve itself. Like sometimes when you have employees who might've gone off the rails, don't let them try and get back on their own, go save them before they do something irrevocable Mm -hmm. that jeopardizes their ability to work for you. So there's that. What am I facing right now? When you get to be this big, the, what you can touch starts to really be limited and Hamish and I have to have new skin. And it's been hard for both of us in different ways that to, to grow at the scale that we're growing and to give everybody kind of an, an indication of size, like we're big and about to be, we'll probably grow this year 300% because our direct to consumer business is like thriving. And then retail has been a very successful business for us. And we're about to knock on wood, uh, launch with another very large retailer. And that adds another layer of complexity. I have to choose what I get to work on, which means I have to choose what I don't work on. And that's been hard. Cause there's things that I love doing, but it's not the right use of my time.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there a way, like a framework that you have for prioritizing? I'm still working on
1: it. So I know this sounds so lame. I feel like there's all these like really complex, uh, project management tools that exist out there. Mm-hmm. I always go back to, I pretty much have two project management tools. I use Google calendar to say like what I'm doing with my time, what I'm doing with it. And then I just write everything down in Apple notes. And I know that sounds so like 1.0, but it's the only thing that's never really failed me. And then I can share a note with somebody. And I have in my home office an iMac. And when I'm traveling about, I have an iPad Pro and a, and a MacBook Pro. And my phone It's just like all the notes sync there. I don't know. I'll be on a call. I'm like, oh, shoot, I got to write that down. And so that's really been it for me. And I wish I had like a more sophisticated answer. With our design team, we use Basecamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anything creative is Basecamp. Anything programming is JIRA. Uh, but I'm not like actively managing those tools. There's like team members whose job it is to do that. So all I have to do is like parachute in and like, comment on something.
0: Yeah. I love that it's analog. My My framework that I've recently come up with is effort, impact on revenue, and core, non-core admin. And then it like spits out a number and I ascending rank. And I'm like, where am I spending my time today? Which has been useful for me.
1: Another thing I do is like, especially in days where I feel like I'm gonna be gridlocked, I gotta. For me, it's important to feel like I got something done each day. Mm -hmm. So sometimes at the beginning of the day in my Apple Note, I write down: "This is the one thing, by God, I'm gonna get done today," Mm -hmm. and that's it. Like even if I have to like do be a crazy, even if I have to do my whole day, wait till everybody's done working, the baby is down, and go back to work at 9 p.m. and get this done. I'm Gonna do it. And so it's like this like I, it's like my do or die thing. And it can only be one thing because you can't have 10 things on it. You just have to like have your one thing that, like, no, no matter what, I'm gonna get this done.
0: Yeah. And in my business, we call it like our single needle mover. That's the only thing. Um, Brittany, this has been so exceptional talking to you. And I hope that somebody listening who has a, a business idea and you guys think that Brittany could be helpful, will reach out and, and tell you directly how you know what questions they have for you. But if there's one thing that you want somebody to walk away from this episode with? What's that kind of one insight or nugget?
1: I suppose it would just simply be that whatever it is that you want to do, I think there's three three elements to it. Could or should you be doing it? Can you do it in the way that you want to do it? And do you need to ask someone for permission to do that? And I just would want people to know that whatever it is that you want to do, entrepreneur, entrepreneur within your own workplace, you have the right to do it. You can do it. You can have so many approaches. I'm known for having a very soft approach. Like you will never see me raise my voice. Like it's just not in me. I just, I don't have it. And doesn't mean that I don't command a lot of respect. If I say something that gets done and if someone does something that like, I don't like, they they feel it, but I don't need to be. I just feel like there's all these ideas that like, this is how you've got to be. And I'm proof that's not true. And do I need to ask someone for permission? No, I don't. I do, however, make sure that I check in on my marriage throughout this all because I do credit the sense of stability and calm inside my soul from the fact that I have like pretty much a bee's knees partner. Like, he is about as good as you could ever hope for in terms of supporting you on your journey. Like, he's very, like, I've never felt for one second I have to be less because, like, he can't handle my more. And so if you feel like you're surrounded by a lot of people who are like, I just don't think you can do that. Or are you sure? Who do you think you are? You probably should like excise that energy from your life because people who love you would be like, you are capable of everything and you deserve to do everything. And that's it. Like, I just think women, you just hear that over and over again, whatever it is you want to do, you do it. And there's no right and there's no wrong, like whatever. And if it's, what you want to do is be a mom and stay at home with your kids and great i just feel like there's so much out there telling women what we need to be and the answer is you is inside of you and and you that's it so i guess there's a very long way to say that but i was thinking about it as i was saying thank you for having me
0: thank you so much for being here if you loved this podcast and i truly hope you did Make sure you're subscribed so you'll be the first to know every time we drop new episodes. And if you haven't already, head over to pmschoolpod.com and subscribe to our newsletter so we can keep you in the loop as we release new PM School resources, invites to events, and trips abroad. If you're feeling extra generous, please leave us a review because it really makes an impact on our ability to book epic guests and keep this mission in motion. Last, but certainly not least, if you feel so moved, take a picture of yourself wherever you're listening and tell us what your biggest takeaways are by tagging us on Instagram at PM school podcast. All right. Until next time, go be epic. We see you. We support you. Cheers.